0: Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times.
1: We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together.
2: Hello everyone welcome to boy problems podcast today we are he would like to use his real name which is justin so justin we are very excited to have you on thank you so much for joining us um we have loved getting to know your wife over the past four years probably and she's been a great addition to boy problems podcast and uh we're excited to hear your story so you want to go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself yeah like um yeah like what? <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of maybe your recovery journey, maybe more recovery related, and like, okay.
3: oh man, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've never really had to like um, tell somebody like my whole story because it, you know I think about it a lot. Like you know when you're in meetings and stuff. Like when did when did it all start? Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like at the very beginning. I know you. I know you don't say this or or there would be people that would um, argue with me if I said this, but I do feel like at the beginning I was able to drink and have fun. And uh, it was more of a controlled type thing. I would say for me, things started to go downhill um, when I started uh, uh, drinking in the morning. You know, I did it like one time, like 10 years ago and I really liked that. And then, it just kind of spiraled out of control. I was a probation officer for seven years. And the ironic thing about that was I was in a recovery court. Uh (laughs) and So all of the, yeah, all of the people that were under my supervision were people that were on probation for something alcohol or drug related and violated their probation for something alcohol or drug related. So I knew the whole legal side of, of the ramifications and stuff like that. But that whole time that I worked and did that with them, never—not once—did I ever think that I had um, what they had. In fact, it was the opposite. It was what I get irritated with people now is like, "What's wrong with you?" You know, "Where's your willpower?" This is like your fifth O.W.I. You know, get it yeah. together, type thing. Like that was how I thought for sure. Um, it's just strange, you know. And that wasn't that long ago. I, you know, I think I—I I was. I was a probation officer from 2007 to like 2014 wow. and yeah. And I was in Fairbanks, you know, three years, three years later. Okay. So it didn't take, take long.
1: So I think that's, um, that's was interesting where you felt like for a long time you would, you were maybe like a quote unquote, like normal drinker. Um, and then you felt like it shifted once you started drinking in the morning was there something that led you to like start drinking in the morning? Was there any sort of event or things going on in your life that like made that change?
3: Yeah, I guess I don't want to. So I've always drank excessively. Um, You know, I can never really remember a time where like I would just have one beer or whatever. I just feel like at the beginning I could, in the book, and we learn a lot at some point, I feel like you you cross that line. And I don't know. I know I have like a, like a vivid memory of when I think I crossed that line. But mm-hmm. I do think that had I not um, continued to drink excessively, like, I don't know, like, I feel like maybe it would have caught up with me later on. But there was a time where I could just have three or four beers or I could go out and get drunk, but, you know, not think about drinking for two or three weeks after that it progressed into the parts where not drinking for like three days was just like on you know, it would, mm-hmm. it just didn't make any sense. And if it was three days, I was thinking about drinking every day, those three days that I was. not yeah. So I don't really know like how that happened. I know that like to answer part of your question, I was in pharmaceutical sales after I became a probation officer and it was, it was a job that I, you know, I was dealing and doing presentations with cardiologists and these really, really smart people. And I think I've always kind of been insecure anyways about, um, about myself and have to get in front of these people with as much knowledge and stuff that they have and try and sell them a drug to a disease state that they know more about than me was just really stressful. And I really struggled with, with that. And so, I, I had a couple of shots one time before a presentation that I did. And I felt like that presentation went amazing. And I don't think I took a sober breath at work after that. I never did a presentation without drinking. And so obviously two, three shots. Okay. Maybe, you know, I mean, it's not normal by any stretch, but the alcoholic, uh, that turned into me drinking pretty much a fifth of Jameson or a fifth of some kind of whiskey a day um there towards wow. towards the end while I was working. And that's um that kind of it progressed really fast for me.
0: Sure. I feel like that's such a common theme. So like with my husband, um he was in barber school and um I dealt with some of the same like insecure feelings, like the insecurity, learning a new skill and like having the confidence to cut someone's hair which in hindsight is like not that big of a deal but to him at the time was this huge thing and he his usage his use and relapses really escalated in that time it felt like he was always relapsing and always um go leaning on using we even we like separated during that time actually it got really bad and he ended up going to jail during all of that but that was a, a common theme for him, too, was that insecure feeling, and it kind of helped him feel like he had the courage to do what he was trying to do mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I think that that is that's a trait that a lot of people in addition have is this insecurity um a mm-hmm. hole how we always hear it as described as like a hole in your chest um and you're always trying to fill it with something, and most of the time it's alcohol or drugs for an alcoholic and um but we talk a lot about that hole, that insecure feeling. And it's, you know, one of the remedies that they suggest or that, that you hear quite a bit when you get into, into the recovery side of this thing is filling that hole with like a higher power. Um, and I did not understand that really for the longest time. And it's not really until recently, maybe in the last year, two years, year and a half that the importance of, of filling that hole, because you know, I can I cannot drink. I feel like I cannot drink and not go to AA and not do all the things that I do in recovery for a period of time, because um, I've done it. You know, a little bit, and you're just you're just miserable. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You might as well just go and drink again. You know, at least that's, um, how it feels. And so mm-hmm. you got for me, it's been really important to fill that that void, that hole, that insecurity with something. And I've had a lot of success with the higher power things. Um, and I, th- I feel like most people that, uh, that do really well in recovery can lean on something like that.
2: Yeah. So uh, your drug of choice is alcohol. Yep. Did you ever do anything else? Did you ever want to experiment with more?
3: I have never really, I've never seen like any hardcore drugs, never even seen them. Um, never really been around people. Maybe I have, they didn't do it openly in front of me. Um, but I mean I smoke I've smoked uh marijuana uh, you know, enough times that I don't know how many. You know, I couldn't count mm-hmm. tell you like a count. <laughs> um, I've neither abused, could I. i that's a
0: good saying. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've abused like Adderall like I've gone like in college, like if I was studying for a test or something. Really any drug that I get, like prescription drug that gets you high or whatever i've abused never have Mm -hmm. i ever taken like because i've had a lot of surgeries uh, and stuff from football that i've had anytime i've ever gotten a hold of um pain medicine because i i mean i could i could see myself really getting addicted to that um Mm -hmm. you know if i get 30 pills they're gone in two days easy but you don't want to
2: keep but you don't want to keep using them I've like ne- the alcohol high is good enough well, over I the just, pill.
3: I just you know to be honest like I didn't know how I I never if I could have gone to the store and bought uh oxycotton or vicodin or something mm-hmm. like that I could have seen myself switch over to something like that or start using mm-hmm. something like that. Um but I just never I you know I just never did. I just used alcohol was good enough you know I don't who knows if I'd have kept going if I'd have switched to something else I'm really glad that I never never did get into the heroin or anything like that because uh you mean you see how dangerous it is I mean alcohol is dangerous enough but I feel like you can suffer for a really long time before you get before you get better with heroin and stuff like that it's you know every time you take it there's a really good chance you not you might not wake up
0: Yeah. yeah 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 so when you were in pharmaceutical sales did you not have access to drugs i don't know how that works
3: yeah so i actually sold uh i actually sold um pain meds um but you don't Mm -hmm. you don't when it comes to stuff like that you don't have access like you don't you can't give out samples of pain medication any scheduled drug like that you you can't give so there's no access or anything to i mean there's i was around a lot of doctors that sold that stuff so like i learned like you know, the best way is to, like, go in front of a doctor and, and try and manipulate him to get uh, medications and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I could have done that. I just, for whatever reason, never went down that route. And it would be hard for me to get that type of stuff anyways because I have so mm-hmm. many injuries. Um, but I, it's probably somebody like where Erica comes in that, you know, I don't think that's something I could hide from her. Um, mm-hmm. And I've just never tried it.
1: Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, Erica, so I was wondering then when you as your drinking progressed and you said it started getting worse um, what was your relationship like with your wife and family members like were people aware that there was a problem is it something that you hid for a while and and then how did it all eventually come out
3: so I no one knew except for Erica and even Erica I think was pretty hesitant about calling me an alcoholic I mean I don't all you guys, I'm sure you can relate, like you don't really know until you go through all of it, you know? So, I mean, I, I think that it got to the point to where I was falling asleep really early, you know, like seven o'clock. Um, she could always smell it on me. Um, but I hid it for as long as I could, honestly. I mean, I feel like if I could still, if I could have continued to hide it, I would have until, you know, it was going to come crashing down on me at some point. But, the hiding the lying the um i mean it's crazy it really is kind of crazy especially after you get some time of sobriety and you you spend some time thinking about like what you would do to to hide it and stuff like that it's just it is it's insanity and um i mean i can remember uh our youngest he's just turned four you know like in between like Just being, because we were there for a couple days, right? Three days. And I would just go to the CVS right outside the hospital and get like a small amount of whiskey and just drink that in the meantime while I was waiting for the baby to be born. Mm. Um, I actually drove both of those, drove both of them home intoxicated. It's like just things like that, like right now today to me, just sound crazy. It's like, you know, this is a story you hear on the news. Like somebody, you know, drove their, their, their wife and brand new baby home and got in a car accident and they're all dead like it's something I would hear now and just be outraged like how can somebody mm-hmm. do that yeah but I, did, but I did that it's just it's it's really weird how when you're in the thick of stuff you don't see it
1: yeah how did you like rationalize that to yourself do you remember at all like actively like making justifications or rationalizations or was your your mind just so focused on like this is what I I need that it blocks everything yeah,
3: I was just in the grip, and um, it's easy to—I mean, when you're when you're drinking every day, it's easy to justify it. I don't even think you do, you know. I just think you get this um, this invincibility complex that nothing's going to happen to you. And you know, I've been really lucky in in that regard. Um, I feel like I drank for—I mean, I drank for a year while I was working, and nobody knew about it. Uh, or at least nobody confronted me about it. I've never been arrested. Um, I've never lost a job. Like I haven't had huge um, things happen to me because of my alcohol use. And so I think that you just start feeding off that. And I think it's probably what happens with everybody. until it happens, you know, I'm lucky enough so far that um, that I haven't gotten any kind of legal trouble or hurt anybody or anything like that. Um, but I think, you know, that's just what happens, you know, and you drive drunk, you think, you know, I feel like I've heard a lot of people say it and I, I just didn't feel like there was any danger to it when I was doing it.
0: So have you, you mentioned like a a lot of the big consequences, many, um, addicts face or alcoholics face in some way, usually legal trouble or. Accidents of some kind. Um, have you had any like big consequences that you can think of that were you know, significant <clears throat> in your recovery?
3: You know, we, you can call them consequences, but I think in some regards, they can just really be blessings. You know, you get mm-hmm. arrested for something or, you know, you get in an accident. It can just be something that can really open your eyes earlier than it needs to happen. Um, mm-hmm. it, like I said, none of that really happened to me the The worst thing that's ever happened to me was one of the last times I drank um, so here's the thing, and I'm sure you've heard this before several times on your podcast with people that are in addiction It's like the thing just keeps growing even if you stop drinking because I really haven't drank a ton in the last like four years, you know, maybe fifteen times twenty times
0: mm-hmm. but
3: mm-hmm. When you go to like rehab and you go to these treatment facilities and you go to AA every day and and knowing like six months later you decide to, to drink again or whatever. It is insane how powerful it is and how much you drink mm-hmm. and how out of control I got. Like, because I was able, mm-hmm. like I said, to hide my drinking for a long time. Every time mm-hmm. I've relapsed since I've been in treatment, there's no hiding. It's like I drink until I'm blacked out, until... Uh, I can't remember what's going on. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a disaster. And the, one of the last times I drank, uh, I was at home on like a three-day bender. I mean, Erica knew I was home drinking. Um, she came home from work. And I you I don't know if she told you guys the story or not. But I mean, I don't and I don't remember a ton of it. But I ended up in the garage uh, trying to kill myself. I tried to hang mm-hmm. myself. And I you know I don't really remember that it's just more of a blackout thing I don't feel suicidal I've never really felt suicidal I mean I've I've had thoughts and stuff but I don't you know I never felt like it was a problem but it's just crazy that you can get that drunk and and almost pull something like that off Yeah and that's just how it progressed with me I mean it's it's scary very scary Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's a little different and I keep tying this back to my story because I just feel like I haven't heard your, I mean, I've heard pieces of it from Erica, but um, it's so crazy. Like hearing you talk tonight, I'm, I'm really piecing it with my uh, husband's story. And, you know, it's, I mean, he, he's a heroin addict and it, like you relapsed. A handful of times in the last two and a half years. I mean, maybe used three times in the last two years or so. But each time is so like each time it like is worse than the last. Mm-hmm. So not worse in that like he he's on a bender he's he's using for months at a time. It's one time and something big happens yeah. like overdosing or. Mm-hmm any like so many like his job finding out like he, these huge things yeah. and i think that um one of the things he and i talk about a lot is how um how this is a progressive disease mm. and how like no matter what it's always going to keep getting worse than it was before and i think that's some of his motivation too because the last two times have been pretty significant events yeah <laughs> and um, very traumatic in the in a similar way where he's like almost overdosed and we've had to call the ambulance and things so I mean I just I think that what you're saying really resonates with a lot of recovery stories and we we hear a lot about someone being an addict and what that means we all know that that means or an alcoholic and we know what that means that they're using but I think that road to recovery is way less um, clear for a lot of people and to really understand kind of how long you can go and be doing really well and be super involved in the program and have one major set blessing, like you, you called it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just one major thing that's like super eye opening mm-hmm. and, and motivates, you know, the next two years of your recovery, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I don't know. I think it's cool that you took something and you were so willing to share something that was so significant. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, ultimately, it's positive, right? It's had a positive impact on you, so I think I think that's cool, and I appreciate you sharing that.
3: Yeah, no, I and yeah, thank you. And and I don't, you know, and when you go to meetings and stuff, everything like you, you know we talked about earlier is anonymous, and you know you would never go out and and share somebody else's story, but we do share stories like that in meetings. And I've been to treatment facilities where you hear people share, and it's really good to hear that. Um, at least it was for me. I can't speak for everybody, but when I hear other people's struggles for whatever reason, and and, and they, you hear their struggles and and you see how their life is different now. It is just really a powerful thing. Um, and I, you know, I only have a year. I don't feel like I mean, there's so much more for. It's not that I only have a year. I'm not supposed to say that a year is a really long time. Um, and I'm proud. I'm proud of my year. Um, it's been a long. It took me a long time to get a year. Um, but you know, I'm still really still really early in this thing and. Um, but I know there's the one thing that I can do to help people is just share what I've gone through to this point. Um, and I just, you know, for me, I don't know what I, it doesn't benefit anybody for me to just give them half parts. I got to give them the whole thing. And if there's people that do listen to this that, you know, have gone through something like this or something similar or parents that hear um, because parents and wives, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person that's tried to do that um there is a little bit of light because that's about as low as it gets i mean at least that was mm-hmm. for me and my family for my dad to walk in and see me hanging i mean i just feel so bad thinking that he had to see that but you know we went from there to now and you know i'm on vacation right now with a with a lady that's a director for this is a place called a merciful help center which it's a food pantry among many other things this lady's helped Thousands and thousands of people. She's one of my best friends. Um, I'm with a priest is here. He's the priest that came and visited me the day after I um, was in the hospital from the suicide thing with these other great people. It's like, man, that's that's a big difference. Right. You know, you go from trying to kill yourself to hanging around like some of the best kind people in the world. And I would have never have thought or even felt comfortable or wanted to go hang out for a week in Florida with people like that.
0: Now I'm, right. now I'm having
3: you know a really good time, so it's it's been a big difference. Um, big big change, just psychology, just psychological change, I guess. And um, so it, it, there's hope, and so I feel like I got to share that stuff, you mm-hmm. know, for people. And I always. Do.
0: I also. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say I also think that it's what you said is um about the fact that you really weren't suicidal, um about how powerful these drugs are over over people, you know, you didn't, you didn't go into that bender thinking, I want to die. But it kind of takes its own course. And I think that, that highlights that no matter what your drug of choice is, you know, this is dangerous stuff, (laughs) um, and something to be taken seriously. So I think that's, that's a a point that people probably wouldn't associate to an alcoholic, you know, you always hear heroin addicts, and you associate dying with them. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a risky drug. But I think that, you know, any addiction you're dealing with can be serious in that way. So yeah, absolutely. I just think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Would yeah.
2: you, would you say that maybe another, I don't I don't know if it's a blessing consequence was like kind of the separation from your wife.
3: You know, it's, I don't know how you guys do it. Honestly, I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how family members hang in there um, because you're, it's just so, it just takes time. It really does. You know, it's, I don't have any way of explaining it. The separation uh, probably had to happen. Maybe if it didn't happen, she probably wouldn't have stuck around. Um, It gave me time, I guess, to realize how important she was for me. Um, You know, it gave me time to understand that maybe what I want, because there's a little bit of me, that wanted to be free um that didn't want the responsibilities that i had i didn't want the responsibilities of five kids i didn't want the responsibilities of having a wife i wanted it was it's a selfish thing you know everything was about Mm -hmm. me and what i wanted to do and it was just going to be easier to drink if i wanted to drink without her around you know and um it's just crazy thinking but you know erica's I know you guys uh, to be with, with somebody that goes through something like this, it's, you know, we definitely need people like you um, to get better. Um, But man, I don't know how you guys hang around. Like, I don't know how Erica hung around as long as she did. Um, It's Mm -hmm. definitely strengthened at least my side of it. Um, I, you know, I, I know that the way I feel about her now is much stronger than, than it was before we got married. Um, so it, it's just really cool to, to see somebody like that stick by because she didn't have to, Got she, you know, she could, she had plenty of reasons to leave and they would have been justified and nobody would have been mad at her. You know, everybody mm-hmm. would have completely understood. Um, they would have been the easier route for her quite honestly. And, um, she didn't. And, I uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad she didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Can we, I think this happens a lot in addiction um, in general. So can we touch on the infidelity just a little bit? Like, like, were you drunk? Like, because you were drunk, you did it. Or you were so, like, it's hard to think that you were, can you just explain that? Because I think a lot of people have gone through infidelity with an addict and um, your wife decided to move forward with you and has kind of said like, okay, that was addiction. Justin and I moving forward
3: yeah so could I could I cheat on Erica sober um I think without having like a higher power and and having like morals and and being around good people I could absolutely do it sober I mean I know I could so I don't I don't blame the alcohol on it I what I think it is and I think it's just that it's the same void um, that I have when I don't have alcohol. It's just a it's a selfish, I want what I want when I want it type thing where you're just trying to fill that void with whatever. You know, it could be video games. Mm-hmm. It could be um, sex. It could be alcohol. And I think that a lot of alcoholics and addicts have that that feeling where they're just trying to fill some void of it because they're uncomfortable with themselves or they're insecure or whatever. Whatever the case is, there's there's a long list of reasons why people do it, Um, but without like sobering up and stuff. Like now, I I could. It's the same thing with me driving them, the kid, you know, my son. It's like now I'm just like, I can't see how I became that person. Now that I've sobered up Mm -hmm. and I pray every morning and, um, you know, I try to follow these steps and stuff like that. Now I it's it's difficult for me to see how I could do something like that. But when I'm not doing those things, it's the first sign that something like that can happen again. And so it's just been really huge for me is to fill that void with something other than selfish things like uh, sex outside of marriage or, uh, or alcohol or really anything. Because I can become addicted. I- I've noticed that about myself. I could really get addicted to anything. I can get addicted to going to the gym and working out too much. And so it's it's. I think I think a lot of us struggle with mm-hmm. stuff like that. Just trying to fill that void and I think the only thing you can't get enough of is uh, is love from you know Jesus <laughs> so yeah yeah.
1: I think um you brought up a really good point and it just shows that it's more than just the like the drugs or the alcohol like those are like almost like symptoms yeah. of a a problem or something like something that's like missing or Mm -hmm. that you're not dealing with like within you and like so even if you got rid of like you touched on this earlier like even if you weren't drinking but you weren't doing anything else to like work at those issues and become a better person and um like that would still be a problem it sounds like you're relating that same issue like with infidelity fidelity or whatever it else it is. It's like until you really like work at the core issues of what's going on, like within yourself, it, you know, there could be drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, whatever it might be. Um, it's sort of like a symptom of that problem.
3: Yes. And they say that all the time. Alcohol is just a symptom of a bigger problem. And I totally understand that now because it is, there's so much work that we have to do, um, with ourselves once we, you know, we get a little bit of sobriety, um, to keep sober, um, uh, because, uh, you know, other character defects are going to pop, pop up and they might not be drinking, but they could be, you know, uh, flirting too much with somebody that could lead to something like that. And, uh, you learn a lot about yourself going through this. And I, I think you guys probably learn a lot about yourselves too. Um, mm-hmm. So there's in a strange way, it's it's um, as long as you can make it on the other side, nobody's hurt, you know, and it's almost a blessing. You know, I hear people all the time say they're glad that they had to go through what they went through. And I can totally see why they would say something like that. Um, It's unfortunate, you know, the people we hurt along the way, but if you can get through it. Uh, like I said, on the other side, I, I completely see, like, how that can stre- really strengthen a relationship. Um, but I know it's tough. I totally like, I, you know, if Erica ch- cheated on me, um, that would just be really hard for me. And I know she struggles with it still to this day. Um, and, she, and she might for a long time. Um, and I totally understand that. Like, I, I, I get it. And it's something that I, if I could take back, yeah, I'd take it back. But at the same time, it happens and we have to get through it and I think eventually um, uh, it'll just make us stronger you know
1: yeah I think I agree trust is a big thing that yeah. we uh, the spouses like struggle with. Um, it's like once that like trust has been broken you throw in everything that comes with it and then it seems like every time you start to rebuild the trust, if there's a relapse or something happens like you go back. Um, so how do you feel like you two are have been rebuilding trust? And like, where do you think things stand with you guys right now? Uh,
3: that I mean, that's a question for her. Like, if I had to guess, I'd say that she doesn't trust me all the way still. And I don't you know, it's, it hasn't been that long, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who knows how long it'll take. Um, Erica's very she's very good at like just kind of feeling the situation. I mean, usually she can tell um, if something bad's about to happen with me. She's been very good at like predicting, like I'm acting different and stuff like that.
0: We all have that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) So, you know, she's been spot on like the last three or four times um, that I've had relapses that she knew something, you know, so I don't, you know, I don't think that she trusts me by any stretch. Uh, But I think that I don't know. You have to ask her. I do feel like we've come a, a long way in the last year for sure. Um, you know, I don't know if she, I don't think she would care. Um, but like I have a, that find me app on my phone. Like,
0: mm-hmm. she, we use that too. Yeah, yeah. She does that. Yeah. And it's
3: like four years ago. Like I could blow that up into a huge, like blame that on her. Like what's wrong with you? Like, You know, I could totally put that on you guys, but it's just like, that's the situation I put myself in. And Mm -hmm. I know if she did something like that to me, I for damn sure would, if I stuck around for damn sure would have a find me app. I probably have all kinds of things, you know, know, but you know, she's not been to her credit. You know, she's been very, she doesn't like, at least that I know of just go through my phone and do things that I think that I would do. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's not, it's really nice to, to have some years of this where I can just leave my phone out, you know, and have no worries. And, you know, and, and I do, I just leave my phone out and there's, there's nothing to worry about now. It's just, it's a really nice free way of living. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I think that, you know, Erica's done a lot of therapy. She's talked to you about, I think it's been huge for her, um, with how she deals with it. I think, as far as the trust thing goes, it's just going to, it's just going to be some time, you know, I have to do my part Mm -hmm. of it. She has to do her part of it. You know, she can't live the rest of her life thinking every time I leave the house, I'm going to go get drunk or cheat on her. I mean, that's not healthy for her either. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she understands that. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's going to take some time to get there. And, and I realize I realize that and, That's the way it has to be. I mean, I don't think anybody can just snap their fingers and, and trust somebody after they go through something like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say about um, these relationships that's kind of unique from maybe a typical relationship is from an early stage. I mean, if the addiction is apparent, I mean, one of the biggest things that you do together is like work on yourselves. And I don't know that everyone does that. I mean, like, it's not as natural to some people to spend time in meetings talking about your character flaws Mm -hmm. or, you know, like seeking out your higher power and really doing spiritual work or doing therapy and all these things. So I think that's another one of those opportunities in these that kind of gets overlooked, like what you said, like getting through it, I think that's kind of been a big piece of my and my husband's relationship is we went through some shit but we worked on it together and he moved out similar to you guys he moved out to a recovery house and worked on himself and there was a lot of things i had to work on too because i mean you know a, a normal whole person doesn't get into a relationship like this so there's some <laughs> things happening here too <laughs> so i think that um and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about about the trust and the Um, like loving with boundaries is something really difficult to, um, to balance. And I, I just I'm, I'm, I'm proud of Erica for the work she's done. And I know that all of us have done similar things. And I think that it's a really cool part of this. You know, there aren't that many cool parts, but there's it's one really <laughs> cool thing when you get to work on yourself with someone else and watch your relationship grow and be happier at the end of it. Um, that's something that's a unique bond. And that's something really special. So I think it's kind of a cool part of it. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, what we've talked about before, I
2: think maybe just with you, um, Alex, is um, how I don't think at 50 or 60, we're going to look at each other and say, like, where the hell is our life gone? Like, and I don't even like you anymore. Like, I think that we've gone through this shit and I will continue to enjoy my husband. You know, I don't know. I think we've all kind of shared that. Yeah. yeah. Like, most well, people wear it? their dirty laundry. Like, I will. I'm fully happy to say like my husband's a heroin addict he stole all my money like you know i found him od'd xyz like people are not you you don't you're not accustomed to hearing that every day about how your husband's an
0: asshole well i think it puts problems into perspective you know because like in with anything in life i mean you can you can look at something and be, be like well like um Elise has said when she had her first baby you know she thought her baby was very challenging but she thought over and over again you know I dealt with a heroin addiction I can do this and I think it really puts big problems into perspective like you went through something really hard and you learned how to do that as a team and now like you can apply that to other problems it doesn't just apply to addiction so I do think that you'll get to a maybe our relationships would last longer or we have the tools of success that get us through life because we've gone through some really hard things together and made it. So, yeah. I,
1: don't know. Well, I also think like every day you're really evaluating, like, do I love this person and stay with them? <laughs> like when Elise said like, Oh, it, we're not going to end up being like 60 or 70 and being like, Oh, do I even like you anymore? I mean, like, <laughs> we've had to make conscious decisions to stay figure that out like do i like this person enough to like work through this stuff and yeah, right. uh, yeah.
0: So
2: anyways uh, so i think justin like your road to recovery like you've gone to treatment facilities outside of the state and i don't think any of our other um, partners have done that so what w- what were kind of those experiences three you went out of state three times
3: yeah three times so i've uh, I went to a place in Mississippi called the Oxford Treatment Center twice, the first and the last time, and in between there, I went to uh, a treatment facility in (laughs) Las Vegas, and that didn't turn out well. (laughs) But, you know, the the time I went to Las Vegas was a, uh, I got, I was living with my dad in the basement at that time, and uh, just uh drinking every night um and I don't know I don't even know what happened I got apparently drunk enough to where and enough to where my dad and stepmom decided it was time for me to get out of the house and so they set all that up for me which you know is I I have a hard time it, it obviously didn't work that time when somebody sets you up and puts you on a flight and sends you out there, I think that they kind of got to be willing to go, go and do it on their own. That has to be a big part. Maybe them doing that. Then I, I don't know. It's it's weird to think about you know the little steps that you take to get you some long term sobriety, and maybe that helped a little bit. But my heart was not in it when I went to Las Vegas, and I was in a place where I could literally hear the slot machines and and hear the people having fun outside of the door that I was in it's like not a place where I think you should ever send somebody with addiction problems <laughs> but you
0: know yeah <laughs> so was, how did you can you, oh sorry go ahead um I, I was just gonna
2: ask like so you you leave for 60 90 days you take yourself out of the situation which you know you know you hear that's kind of a good thing but then when you come back you're back in the same situation you're you didn't learn how to navigate or deal with your addiction at home. Like what, what's that like? Because you also went to treatment here where we live.
3: Right. I, so here's what I think. I think that, I think that the Oxford treatment center and the place that I went, I, I think that it can definitely be beneficial. I think that it helps people for sure. Um, But I think it's only for like certain stages of where you're at when it comes to your alcoholism and your want to. So it's, it's pretty much anybody that's ready and done to be over with alcohol and they're ready to put in the work. And my, in my opinion, from what I've seen, if you're truly ready to be done and you're ready to put the work, it doesn't matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I That's how I, that's what I believe. Um, and I believe it because it's the way I, you know, looking back, it's, you know, it's, it's what's worked for me, but, I enjoyed going out there because it's like a vacation. You know, I leave you guys at home with all the kids and they deal with the bills and all that stuff. I'm getting three really good meals a day. I'm riding horses. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being told that, you know, I'm going. getting smoothies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not reality by any stretch. It's pretty awesome. I think that there's benefits to it though, for somebody that's going through alcoholism um, because it's, freaking tough man it's a, the first time you try to go through this and like 30 days 60 90 days like those are not easy days and so if you can just be thrown in the middle of the woods um with some things that take your mind off of drinking i'm all for that i think it's great but i've also seen the other side of it because i think people that have been to these things like six seven times they grow used to it and they they're they're, they're just going there to get Get away to get because they're you know somebody's mad at them or they're just trying to because it's an easy way out when it comes to stuff like that. um
2: That's interesting. So, it's like a, it costs it cost a shit ton of money though.
3: Yeah. Well, it's, my insurance paid for, it, but it's like thirty. The place that I went to, if I didn't insurance, it was going to be like thirty to thirty five thousand dollars a month, which right is insane. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. It's so interesting. You said that's the easy way out because if you're actually doing um, that, right, that's a really hard path, you know, but if you, I, it, it, so I think it depends on, it shows your mentality going into it at the time. Yeah. There's like, Oh, escaping. This is the easy way when a lot of people avoid those situations because they know it's going to be very hard. Um, so it's interesting that you had that mindset. Yeah. Well, it,
3: after you've been, you know, three or four times, you know what it's, you know what to expect. And it's mm-hmm. almost like, a, I forget what comedian I heard, I think it was Dave Chappelle, it's like, people that go to rehab, it's like, I'm in, I'm in base, you know, you can't say anything to me. It's like, you, you know.
0: <laughs> like, That's really funny.
3: That's so it's, funny. You can't, you know, you just, the heat's off of you. And, yeah. And that makes so much sense, you know, it's like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Just But if you go there with that mentality, um, and it doesn't change in the 30, 60, whatever, how I many days you're there, then it's just a matter of time, in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, And and I can see you using it as an excuse to just get people off your back, go back to rehab. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I can't remember. So the times then when you came home, how long was it until you relapsed?
3: The first time that I went, uh, I had just like two days before I almost had nine months. So my first go at it was really the the longest time I'd ever stayed sober up until this current time. Um, And then that was, um, you know, then now, then I I don't know how many 30, 60 day tokens I have, but it's a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 10, 15 relapses in between that. I, I think I got to six months, maybe one, one other time in there, but it was usually like the 30, 60, 60 day type thing. And we talked about it earlier, just the the ridiculousness that those relapses brought was, you know, I can't explain it. I mean, I, I don't think anybody has really been able to explain it, what happens when you go to treatment and you go to AA and stuff and you get some sobriety and you start drinking again. I think it's maybe the guilt, the shame is just so much that you just keep drinking to just hopefully try and get rid of that feeling. It's just an excuse. Maybe, I don't know. It's But it's it's crazy how bad it got.
1: Yeah. Um those relapse times. Looking back, can you how can you identify like why you think you relapsed or maybe leading up to the relapse, could you sense that you were headed in that direction?
3: <clears throat> so the first time Um, I don't the first time that I relapsed, I think I I definitely was not enhancing the spiritual side of it. Um, I think I enjoyed the, uh, uh, I if I had to just say one thing, that's absolutely it. I mean, I was not praying in the morning I was not relying on the higher power. It was just easy. You know, I think that it's not easy. It's not easy. is not the right word, but that first, that first time you go to treatment, you get out, you got, they call it a pink cloud and everything like that. And I think I rode that the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't putting the work Mm -hmm. in, I was going to a meetings. Um, I was sharing in a meetings, but I was sharing to sound good. It was still that, that insecurity thing. I just wanted people to like me. It was more of, I'm going to say this because I know it's the right thing to say. And I've heard somebody else say it, but I'm saying it. So people will think that I'm getting this thing, but I wasn't really Mm -hmm. getting this thing. You know, the fact that I can say now that I was insecure, like I wouldn't have said that like a year ago. Like my whole thing was I wanted people to, you know, I wanted it to be liked. I wanted, you know, I would never point out my character defects like I do now. So I feel like that it's, there's just a long list of things. I can't really pinpoint, you know, one, one thing that led to my relapse. It's a tricky thing, you know, Um, this thing is powerful and, if, if you're not staying on top of it, the littlest things can can set you off and take you down a road you don't want to be on. Mm-hmm.
2: So what, what does your recovery program look like now?
3: So uh, since the hospital visit, um, I started working at a, a place called the Merciful Help Center it's connected to our lady in Mount Carmel. It's a food pantry, but it's also, uh, we have several different missions where, you know, we help women that need car seats. We help people that, um, that need food. We help people that whose a significant other, like died. There's just a, all kinds of different programs and stuff that we do. Um, so I've worked there for, uh, almost 18 months. And so that's been a huge part of my recovery is just the service work aspect of it. You know, I'm a, I'm around my boss Jane, um, who's just, I mean, she's just one of those people. You know, that she's she's dedicated her entire life to helping people. Um, I'm around Father Richard, who's, um, you know, he's he's dedicated his life to you know his high, Jesus, and so it's it's surrounding yourself with really good people has been huge been huge for me this time and willing to do something like that. I mean, you want to talk about growth for me. It's like if you'd have said that I was gonna be making twelve dollars and fifty cents working at a food pantry like five years ago, like I would have <laughs> laughed at that person. I have thought that he was, you know, a loser and, you know, get it together. Like I, I needed to be a pharmaceutical rep. Um, I needed to wear a suit to work. I needed to do stuff like that to fill that void. I've filled it with different things right now. Um, so part of that, and then I go to meetings, um, you know, at least least twice a week, I try to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Now, um, I was going every day, um, but I've just gotten, it's the same thing. You know, it's like, I can't never not go to meetings, but the meeting that I go to is about 45 minutes away and, um, and I feel really good about going three times a week, I see my sponsor, uh, every day that I go there. So I get, I sit by him, I get to talk to him. Um, I meditate. That has been really big for me. I took a course called transcendental meditation early on in recovery. And I, when I do that, I really feel great. It's, I don't always do it twice a day, like you're supposed to, but that's been a big part for my recovery. And I've kind of stuck doing that this last time. And um, praying in the morning, I know the very moment I don't pray, and I used to do it usually when I first get up, but I've gotten into a good habit of doing it before I go into work. Now, Um, I'll just sit in the car and pray just a little bit, just just be thankful that I didn't drink yesterday. And just simple things, you know,
0: can you talk more about that? Like, um, I know that the higher power component is challenging for a lot of people at the beginning. How did you kind of uh, what was your path to finding your higher power?
3: I've never been opposed to it. It was never a big issue for me. You know, I grew up um, Catholic. I'm I'm still Catholic. Um, so, like the whole idea of a higher power and stuff. You know, it was it wasn't hard for me to 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 put my faith in it. Um, but I just had never tried it before. <laughs> And mm-hmm. so I really tried it this last time. And I think being around people that live their life that way and seeing how happy they are and seeing that, you know, that because all these people that I'm here with, they've all gone through some hard shit in their life too. It might not be alcoholism, but it's, it could be whatever. I mean, it's tough stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. um, they've got through it and um, they live good lives and, you know, it's it's, so it's you know watching people get through things that that are tough and and using as higher power so just being here being where I'm at is is really helped and I I can't tell you like one time that I'd never have had Jesus just walk into my room and start talking to me like I've not had that experience but I can't tell you what it is that void there it is that void I don't I don't feel that way when I'm when I'm doing the right stuff
2: that Mm. makes sense Have, have you done the steps yet
3: yeah've done I've done the steps. Um, I've never spo- have not been able to sponsor anybody yet or no one's asked me to sponsor the. I only go to one meeting, so to be if I'm going to be completely fair, I probably need to start going now that I have a year, start going to some different meetings. The meeting that I go to is at 6:45 in the morning, and I think it's the greatest A meeting in the world, but it's <laughs> a lot of a lot of older, old, tough type uh people you know, where yeah. you go in there saying some bullshit, you get you get called out and I like that. Yeah. But if I mm-hmm. were a newcomer and I went to that meeting, I'd be the last person that I'd want to be my sponsor because there's so many great people in there <laughs> with so much wisdom. So I think if I ever want to get somebody, I got to go somewhere where there's not all these AA legends that everybody
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So is sponsoring important to you? Is that something that you'd like to do?
3: It's So I don't, if somebody, so here's why, here's how I know I I still have a lot of work to do. If somebody would um, come up and ask me to sponsor me, I feel like my first reaction would be um, about me. Oh, great. You know, it'd make me feel good instead of making it, okay, I need to help this person. You know, I'd make it about me right away. And and at least I can catch it that way right now. So if somebody asked me today to be their sponsor, I, I I would feel good because I feel like somebody liked me. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm catching myself do that. And so I know that the right thing would be to help them. And yeah, I would, I would love to be able to help somebody, but I also know that, and I truly believe this, that the, you know, it's not my responsibility to get anybody sober. It has to be on them. All I can do is share my story and help them get through the big book, um, and be there for them whenever I possibly can. And, you know, the rest of the work is on them and that's how my sponsors deal with me and that's how you hear most people that get sober most people that sponsor people it's it's really it's an honor i guess but it's really it's on that person that whoever asked you to get sober it's it's not about you at all
2: Mm.
3: but i am going to school i guess a big part of what that i didn't talk about is this is my last week at the merciful help center um i'm going to school full-time i'm just gonna get my master's in Addictions counseling. Wow. My goal, right. my dream, yeah, thanks. If I still got a year and a half, so several papers and stuff I have to get through. I've I've done one, semester <laughs> of it, and the first paper that I had to do because I haven't been to school in 20 years, it took me, you know, an hour and 30 minutes to figure out just where to put my name at to start. The paper. <laughs> it's like these formats <laughs> that you have to follow. It's just, it's just, yeah. And so I got a lot of work to do. That's, that's you know, having five kids and it was just going to be impossible for me to do all the things and go to work and get through this. So luckily I'm blessed with an amazing wife who has a decent enough job that, you know, and she's not, she's happy that I'm going back to school. She's not like, you need to go out and make money and stuff like that. So I'm privileged in that aspect that I can try and get this done in the next couple of years. And my goal is to eventually um be like a director of like a halfway house because i i feel like that is the thing that i could give back the most in in my recovery it's not the type of place that, that we talked about earlier that you just go and hide away in, in in the woods for a couple months it's it's that place that you can be in between that time before you mm-hmm. and really maybe for people that don't have somewhere to go mm-hmm. um you know somewhere that they can live until they get their feet, um, on the ground because a lot of us really tear some shit up, you know, and you you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have anywhere to go. You've burned all your bridges and I've never been put in that position, but I've always thought about being in that position and like what I would have done if I didn't have Erica, if I didn't have my dad, if I didn't have Mm -hmm. all these amazing people in my life, where would I have been? Um, and I don't think I would have made it. I just don't. I think that I would have continued to drink. I think that I would have done something stupid. I'd ended up jail or dead. And I feel like if I can just provide some place for people like that, that's kind of, that's kind of my dream.
0: You should listen next week. We're talking to a director of a halfway house. Yeah. So
3: yeah, I will.
2: (laughs) So as we kind of wrap things up, I know you've mentioned that you've got five kids. So how do you, So you have two little ones who probably don't necessarily understand, but you've got three older ones. So how are you navigating that conversation with your kids? Because I don't believe that you've shared with, I don't even know if they know about the infidelity or if they know about the suicide attempt. Like, have you kind of shared, I don't even know how much they know about your addiction.
3: They uh, they do not know as far as I know about the suicide or, I think that they, they know about the infidelity thing. Um, I've never talked to them about any of that. Uh, It's probably something that I've talked to my sponsor about, about talking to them about I've made amends to them. Uh, But this has been, it's, it's a tough thing because they're at an age where um, they know, I mean, they know that I'm an alcoholic. I talk freely about that with them. Um, the, I don't get into the details about the stuff that I've done with them. I don't know that I should, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. But they've been great. You know, my daughter's uh, saluted. She was number two. What do you call that? A salutatorium. Um, she has a mm-hmm. full ride to play division one volleyball. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I did. Thank God. I don't feel like I've done anything to truly damage my relationship with the older three. Um, they've been they've been great as far as i know throughout throughout all this so they've never given me reason to believe that um they're worried about me any more than they should be now that i can see with the two younger who he'll be 7 in August in a couple weeks i can see the in and out that i was going through during that time frame i can see how that affected him um he didn't know what was going on obviously But Erica can tell you and she may have, but I can definitely see like me being gone for, you know, six weeks or, you know, three months and whatever it was during that time frame. Like you could see him kind of acting out in a way and um, that's affecting me. uh, And, you know, it's been hard for me when I think about that type of thing. That's probably Mm -hmm. the biggest um, consequence that I've faced. Besides hurting you know besides hurting Erica and my dad happened to see what he had to see, but really those three things um I hate thinking about those three things, yeah no.
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, so um, what about erica so did did you make an amends to her i assume
3: yeah I mean, you can only say you're sorry so many times, right um I think <laughs> I think at this point the amends that that I'm making to her is just um you know how can I make it right with me and Erica so like the number drinking is is really the number 1 not cheating on her is number 2 um and just growing to you know growing and working on relationships together so at this point there's nothing for me to say if I was her I wouldn't even want one it's like my words don't mean much anymore and I understand that mm-hmm. um, really with any of the amends and stuff that I have, I, I just think the best way to make amends with people is to, is to become a better person, become the best version of yourself. And um, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with Erica.
2: Yes. So I would, I would challenge you on that. Okay. Only because my husband fucked things right up. <laughs> and I, I mean, I wanted a whole list of everything for his amends. And his amends was short and sweet, but it was nice that he like came out and said, this is my amends to you X, Y, Z. So I guess I hear what you're saying. Like you can only say sorry so much, but there is like that when you just acknowledge it. I, I don't know. I don't know what conversation, but I would just challenge you a little bit on that one.
0: Yeah, but I would agree. I agree. <laughs> I like the word, Cause I'm getting the living amends right now. And I would love to just have like a,
2: detailed i'm sorry <laughs> but it's not gonna happen like we know no. that's not gonna happen
1: yeah right yeah. well and well, like i, I think that's what it. justin said like the like i'm sorry is not enough and really the amends are not even right. about like you're is not an apology it's more oriented. Right. but i do think from the spouse's side it's nice to hear like an acknowledgement of like hey i know that you know, I've fucked things up. And so my amends to you is that I'm going to be a better person every day. (laughs) And Justin, like kudos to you. It sounds like, you know, you've really been putting in the work and like doing Mm -hmm. those action steps that matter and like to, you know, build a relationship with your higher power and serve others and really work on yourself and do what you can to like build back the trust. And so Congratulations on being over a year now of sobriety. And, you know, I know it's one day at a time, but hopefully you'll just keep accumulating more of those days together.
3: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, wonderful. Well, Justin, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. We hope everyone can uh, take something from this and bring it into their own recovery life or your relationship. Uh, If you have any questions for us, please reach out at uh, hello at boyproblemspod.com. Keep coming back. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.